Welcome to the hills, all of you that watch online around the world, all of you in person at West Fort Worth, South Lake, and North Richmond Hills campus. I want to thank all of you that are participating in our Renew offering. Many of you have already given, and many of you are planning to give soon, and to do so abundantly. And with great joy here in a couple of months, we're going to give away hundreds of thousands of dollars in Jesus' name to the people that Jesus told us to bless. And so again, to all of you that are a part of Renew Offering, I just want to say thank you. We're in a study of what is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it the Way of King Jesus because it has a context. Jesus had been preaching that the kingdom of God is here. He's been healing and casting out demons to show people what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes. And he gathers people together and says, now we're going to talk about the kind of people that we're going to be in this kingdom. What kind of ethic and what kind of community are we going to be? And what we're going to do specifically today is talk about the way King Jesus wants us to love. And so a mother has two children, a four-year-old boy and a one-year-old little girl. They're playing together in a room, and the boy begins to cry. The mother says, what happened? He says through his tears, she pulled my hair hard, and it hurts. So mom stepped in and said, well, understand, she's a baby. She does not know that pulling hair can hurt. She leaves the room. Fifteen seconds later, she hears the baby crying. She goes back, and her son says, now she knows. <laughs> See, all he modeled is the way of the world, where retaliation and payback is normal, and we love it. It is the plot of all of our favorite stories, all of our favorite movies. An injustice has been done, and our hero or our heroes pay back in full. But it is not the plot of the story that the Bible is telling. That getting even is not the way to get in the way of King Jesus. That the king expects his subjects to love abnormally. Or to put it another way, what Jesus expects is that we will love people in a way they do not expect. Instead of pay back, we will pay it forward. Have you ever had that kind of grace given to you? Where someone delighted you by unexpectedly giving you kindness. Jamie and I were on a flight coming home last summer. A couple walks in with a little baby and you can see everyone on the plane getting tense thinking, oh, please don't sit by me. Well, she, they sat right across from us but then they began giving out to all the people around them these baggies that said, baby on board, sorry for the inconvenience. And you can see in the picture that the baggie had candy in it. It had earplugs in it. And immediately we all bonded with this precious couple. And we were so delighted because they treated us with unexpected kindness. And Jesus says, that's how we're going to do it in my kingdom. We are going to love others creatively, surprisingly, sacrificially, abnormally. 
So read with me in chapter 5 of Matthew, starting in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, for eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, remember, this part of Jesus' sermon is in the section where he's explaining what kingdom righteousness looks like. Back in verse 20, he said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, then you do not belong in the kingdom of God. And so he's showing what surpassing righteousness looks like. Six times he's going to say, you have heard it said, but I say. And what they have heard said all their lives was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth for good reason. Because it comes right out of the Bible. Three times in the law of Moses, in Exodus, in Leviticus, and in Deuteronomy, you read that phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And it was known as the law of retaliation. And the principle was that the punishment should never exceed the severity of the original grievance. Now, that may seem barbaric to us, but in that day, in Moses' time, that was the most humane judicial practice the world had ever seen. Because here's what we know about human nature. In our fallen nature, we tend to see retaliation intensify. You hit me, I will hit you back harder. You knock me down, I will knock you out. And this is how the world pursues justice. And so what God set up were legal boundaries to prevent the practice of escalating revenge. And it's important that word legal, because you go back and you read those three times, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and the context was the court system. That this wasn't something a person went and did on their own. But in community, in the judicial system, it was determined what is a fair punishment for the crime that was committed. It's not encouraging a victim to take justice in his own hands. What it's trying to discourage is creating a culture where we think two wrongs make a right. That you did wrong, so I'm going to do more wrong, and we're going to make everything better. And what you get in a world like that is everybody winds up blind. This was never meant to be the way that God wanted his people to handle interpersonal conflict. But by the day of Jesus, the common interpretation of eye for eye and tooth for tooth was payback is normal. Now, we're going to go deep 
into why that's not what God wants us to do. But before we get there, we have to exercise some caution. And the first thing I need to say is that in this teaching, Jesus is not enabling abusers. All through the Bible, we are told to stand up for those who are weak and on the margins. In fact, Jesus said, people that victimize the vulnerable are in for the strictest of judgments from the Father in heaven. Now, I know I'm talking to people in our campuses and online who have been abused, physically, sexually, I'm so sorry, and I'm even more sorry if you went to your spiritual family for support and help, and what you got was either advice to ignore or even tolerate the wounder. So let me be very clear. Do not sit one more moment under the spiritual authority of any pastor or church that will use the words of Jesus to excuse or tolerate abusers. That is not what Jesus meant. Now, thank you. Another caution here is that Jesus in this teaching is not forbidding self defense or the defense of others. He did not say, turn your head if somebody else gets slapped on the cheek. It's not wrong to seek the preservation of the right to life. In fact, we are to protect the vulnerable. This is not permission for us to abdicate our responsibility. All through the Bible, in fact, in the law of Moses, there's provision for defending people who are being unjustly assaulted. Paul, in Acts 22, is about to be flogged. And Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen You can't do that. And they don't. Now, Paul is willing to be beaten for Jesus. He got beaten for Jesus. But why would you take a beating if you don't have to? Maybe a better example, the next chapter, Paul's in prison in Jerusalem. And some Jews make a vow, we're going to ambush and kill Paul when they move him to another prison. Paul finds out. He tells the Roman authorities. They assign a guard of Roman soldiers with swords and spears to protect him To the point of killing people that would attack him. Paul took advantage of local law enforcement to protect his life. That is not what Jesus is talking about. And one more thing. Jesus is not affirming weakness. Now the way of Jesus is narrow. And nobody wants to make a movie about the way Jesus has to respond to evil. Because it seems wimpy. It's the way of cowardice and spinelessness and timidity. I would argue, on the contrary, the way of Jesus requires courage and resilience and fortitude. That in a world that says the strong will pay back, that Jesus says the truly strong will step back and return good for evil. Now, you know that I love sports illustrations. And at the top of my sports heroes is a man named Jackie Robinson. He broke the color bearer in Major League Baseball. 
And you'll see him in this picture standing next to another man I greatly admired named Branch Rickey, who was the general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Both of these men were devout Christians. Ricky wanted to break the color barrier, but he knew it was going to take a special man to do it. Not just great skill on the ball field, but great character on and off. He says to Robinson, if I put you on the field, you are going to be the victim of unjust and constant abuse. And when they curse you, if, they, if you curse back, all they're going to hear is that you cursed. And if they swing at you and you swing back, all they're going to say is you are a fighter. Jackie Robinson said, are you wanting a ball player that doesn't have the guts to fight back? Ricky said, no, I want a ball player who has the guts not to fight back. And then he picked up a book and he read these words to Jackie Robinson. If someone should smite thee on the cheek, turn to him the other also. And Jackie Robinson said, Mr. Ricky, I have two cheeks. Now he went on. Despite constant unjust slander and abuse, to become a great baseball player. But his character exceeded his skill. And if you know anything about Jackie Robinson, you know he would not weak. He's one of the strongest people to ever step on a field. And Jesus says, That's how we're going to do it in my kingdom. We're not going to pay back. We're going to step back, and we're going to return good for evil. Because Jesus would say, just being good to people that are good to you is weak. Just being nice to people that are nice to you is weak. Anybody can do that. Tax collectors can do that. Pagans can do that. The mafia can do that. Gang members can do that. Philadelphia Eagles fans can do that. <laughs> they probably wouldn't, but conceivably, they could do that. You see, loving the lovable is not a surpassing kind of love. And it's interesting to me, that word surpassing and Jesus saying, do more than the pagans surpassing more are from the same Greek word. Jesus wants us to love abnormally. He expects us to do more than is usually expected. So now we can dig deeper into what Jesus said about kingdom love. And the first thing is that it goes further than normal. And the way Jesus illustrates that is to take something out of their lives that is foreign to us, the going a mile. You see, in their culture, when Rome occupied a nation and sent troops in, the law was if a Roman soldier says, carry my gear, you had to do it for one mile. And the Jews hated this. They would put rocks or posts one mile from their house so that they would not have to go one step more than the law said. So Jesus is preaching, and he says, if anyone compels you to go a mile, and everyone leans in, and Jesus says, go further than that. Go an extra mile. And that's not easy to do. 
but it's not easy to forget when someone does it to you. Is everyone, has anyone ever surprised you by going way farther than you expected? So I wrote about this woman named Candace. She lives in New Jersey, got into a new apartment, and right away she found out that the person that lived below her liked to play his music loud and all hours of the night. And she responded in a surprising and creative way. She wrote a letter. She said, hey, I hope you're well. We haven't formally met, and I hate that we're doing so under these circumstances. When you come home every evening and blast your music, I've come to expect it. Sometimes it's a song I haven't heard in a while, and I appreciate the throwback. Other times it's something I've never heard before, and I've been able to Google a few lyrics and add it to my weekly playlist. To be fair, you've helped me catch a vibe. And then she says this, but last night, bro, you tried it. You really, really did. I don't know if you were hosting the official after party for our building's holiday social or single-handedly determining this generation's R&B king, but 3 a.m. is just too late to be that loud. At 3.37, I realized it was more advantageous for me to reflect on your musical taste and eat some potato chips than try to sleep. You really love a piano solo and some soulful drums. At 4.07, you settle down. I really appreciate that. In the future, as you're hosting your kickbacks and come-throughs, please remember the rest of us. And then catch this. As a peace offering, I hope you will enjoy this pound cake. I decided to bake it for you at 3.30 a.m. <laughs> Happy holidays, and I look forward to officially meeting you. And Candace left the cake and the letter at his door. And a couple of days later, she met Tommy a music video producer who was going through his first holiday season after the death of his daughter, which was why he was having trouble sleeping at night. And they've become good friends, and they love to eat pound cake together. You see, kingdom people care more about repairing relationships than airing grievances. Anybody can air a grievance Anybody can post about all the reasons you don't like somebody else. But a kingdom person says, you know, the relationship's more important than the insult. And so, yeah, you slapped me on the cheek, but I'm going to get past it because I care more about you. And you're more important than my property. So if you need something and I give it to you, I'm not going to stay up all night wondering when am I going to get it back. Because you're more important than what I gave you. And yeah, it wasn't on my calendar, but if you need me to go an extra mile, I'll make the time and do it because you're more important than my schedule. You see, when you do what is normal, the situation is controlling you. When you go further than normal, now you're in control of the situation. So the soldier comes up and says to you, carry my gear. And you pick it up and you curse under your breath and you hate every step and you don't go a step past a mile and you throw it on the ground and you come home and you yell at your wife and you kick the dog. And then you hear this new rabbi say, next time, go further. And you do. And now you don't have to. Now you've decided. And you start talking to that guy. I know you're not from here. They sent you here. Where are you from? Tell me about your family. I'm glad we got some time together. Maybe we can talk again sometime. And you come home, and you're completely different because now you 
decided and took control of the situation. Two of the best-known preachers in London in the 1800s were Joseph Parker and Charles Spurgeon. Now, Spurgeon had an orphanage, and Parker was talking about it in a sermon and commenting on how many of the orphans that go to the orphanage are in poor condition when they get there. Somehow it got back to Spurgeon that Parker had said that the orphanage was in poor condition. So the next week Spurgeon got up and let Parker have it. Now back then they put the sermons of these guys on the front page of the paper. Everybody's talking about it. The next week Parker's church is packed with people saying, how's he going to respond? He says, Brother Spurgeon is out of town today, and this is the Sunday they usually take up an offering for their orphanage. Let's do it here instead. Let's take up a love offering for his orphanage. They had to pass the trace three times they took up so much money. And the next week there was a knock on his study, and Spurgeon walked in and said, Parker, you have visited grace upon me. You did not give me what I deserved. You gave me what I needed. Normal is what people deserve. Grace is what people need, especially the people who least expect it. And so not only does kingdom love go further than normal, it goes wider than normal. Now, you know that Christianity is not the only religion that teaches prayer. Every religion prays to your gods. So you go to excavations of ancient pagan temples, and what you'll find are a lot of prayer tablets, and they're what they're called curse tablets. Because in most pagan religions, the job of the gods is to deal with your enemies. And so you find these tablets, they'll say things like, so-and-so has wounded me, and I want you to uh, blind him in both his eyes and give his kids fatal illnesses. And so you've got all these tablets of curses around these temples. What they have never found is a bless my enemy tablet. And so because just like us, the Jewish people, were influenced by the culture. They, they read in their Bible, love your neighbor. And somehow that interpreted became and hate your enemy. You see, normal love is always contaminated to some degree by the impurities of self Interest. Normal love is an investment that expects a good return. It is normal for me to be gracious and kind to people from whom I completely expect some kind of response that's similar to what I did. But Jesus says, that's not how we're going to do it in the kingdom. In the kingdom, we're going to love people without worrying about what kind of response we get back. In the kingdom, we're going to love people like God sends rain on everybody. We're just going to let our love fall on everybody. I got real convicted writing this sermon because Jesus says, no one way you do that is you pray for your enemy and ask God to bless them. Now, I pray for a lot of people. Some of you. I love to pray for people I like. But if I only pray for people I like, then I am not like the God I'm praying to. Let me say that again. 
You pray for people you like. If you never pray for people you don't like, then you're praying to a God that you're not trying to be like. Chew on that for a while. In the 1700s, there was a Baptist pastor named Peter Miller, dear friends with George Washington. There was a man in town named Michael Whitman that just opposed everything Miller tried to do. He's just a foul person. He got charged with treason and was sentenced to death. Peter Miller walked 70 miles to see his friend, General George Washington, and plead for Michael Whitman's life. And General Washington said, Peter, I know we're friends, but I cannot spare you the life of your friend just because we're friends. Miller said, friend? He's not my friend. He's the bitterest enemy I have. And Washington said, you walk 70 miles to plead for your enemy? That changes everything. I pardon him. And the two men walked home as friends. Now, we live in a culture where Christianity is becoming increasingly unpopular. We hold beliefs that many do not want to have. So listen close. We're going to be judged by the way we treat people who do not hold our beliefs. We believe things that some will find offensive in the culture. And Jesus said, expect that the culture will do things to deliberately offend you. And then Jesus says, worse than being offended is not loving well the person that offended you. You're going to receive offense. But I'm more concerned that you love well the person that offended you. I told you, the way of King Jesus is not for wimps. That's why it's such a narrow way. If you're going to love longer, further, wider, then you're going to have to love, learn to love stronger than normal. Kingdom love is so much sturdier Fiercer, more formidable than normal love. Here's two reasons. One, because it's not natural. It is supernatural. You cannot love the way King Jesus says to love if you don't ask him for some of his power. Romans 5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. If you're going to love like Jesus says, number one, you're going to have to believe he really is the king, not just a nice guy. And number two, you're going to have to ask him to help you to love like he wants. That's one reason kingdom love is stronger. But another reason is that it has so much more impact than normal love. See, killing others will never change the world. Deciding to die for others will. 
And so they came to arrest Jesus. Peter did what was normal. He pulled out a sword. He attacked the arresters. He even cut an ear off of one of the people. And Jesus said, put that sword up. That's not how we're going to do it. He even healed the man that came to arrest him. This is the radical, subversive, abnormal strategy of King Jesus. Got him on a cross, which I would argue is the strongest act of love in history. And now, what we have to decide is which narrative are we going to live? The narrative that sells all the tickets to the popular movies or the narrative of Jesus. We're going to have to decide if his way to love is the best way to live. I think there's evidence out there to help you make up your mind. I've seen it in my own lifetime. I am old enough to remember as a boy there being water fountains in town that said whites and coloreds. In 1964, President Johnson signed civil rights legislation. But that's not really what began to change the hearts of some in this country. It was the movement led by Dr. King, who decided to walk in the narrow way of King Jesus and love his enemies. And we saw it on our television sets. We saw peaceful protesters have Dogs set loose on them, and they did not retaliate. We saw innocent, non-violent people assaulted with water hoses, and they prayed for the people as they were being assaulted. And we watched this, and the evil of the one side was exposed. And the righteousness of the other was revealed. Dr. King was not weak. The way of Jesus overcame. Now, I've got to tell you, it's been a hard sermon to preach today. Because when I found out last night there was another racially motivated shooting in this country, I had trouble going to sleep. I'm so tired of these stories. I'm so tired of living in a culture where we won't have the hard conversations about the systems and the ideologies that are producing these kinds of horrible actions. And I don't pretend I know all the things we can do to... But I know one thing we cannot do. We cannot say the best way to respond to hate is to hate back. That is not the way of King Jesus. Romans 12 says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, Feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. 
In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And remember this. Jesus lived the story he's calling you to. He walked the talk. He has never asked you or me to do something he wasn't going to do first. He went the second mile, and it took him to a cross. And on the cross, he didn't curse his enemies. He prayed for them. And he died for those he could have killed. And that includes you and me. And so we have to decide. Which story will we live? Will I love as a reaction? Or will I love as a reflection? Will I let how people respond to me decide how I'm going to respond to them? Or will I... Let the God who puts his reign on every head decide how I treat people. Will I love others the way the king has loved me? Dr. Christian Bernard, first man to do heart transplants, had a friend and a fellow doctor who received one who came to see him. Dr. Bernard took a jar off a shelf and handed it to him. He said, this is your heart. The first man in history to hold his heart in his hands. And the man said, so, this is that old heart that gave me so much trouble. And Jesus wants a righteousness that goes beneath the surface. He wants your heart. He wants to take that old heart that's given you so much trouble and he wants to replace it with a new heart. With his love in it. And so you're going to have a chance this week to walk in the way of King Jesus. Don't wait till you feel it. Just do it. Do what he said. And see if your new heart won't listen to King Jesus. At the end of the sermon, he said, you know, you're not wise if you listen to my sermon. You're not even wise if you like my sermon." You're wise if you put my sermon into practice. So that's how we're going to close. We're going to do what Jesus said. Because you may not have an enemy, but you got somebody you don't like. Admit it. We all do. You might have good reasons for not liking them, but you got no reason for not loving them if you follow Jesus. Jesus said, well, pray for them then. Don't pray, well, God, make them change. No, he said, pray a blessing on them. Everybody bow your head. That's what we're going to do. Think of somebody right now that you have a hard time liking. And I want you to bow your head and pray a blessing on them because you follow King Jesus. Do that right now.
Thank you, God, for loving us in a way we could never deserve. So help us love others in a way they would never expect. For Jesus' sake, amen.